for my birthday, my family and I went up to Wyoming. My uh, five-year-old Henry, who you'll see running around here, my three-year-old Jimmy, they're actually right out there. They got to ski for the first time. It's so cute. They're out there skiing on their own. And um, my wife, Mary Beth, and our little four-month-old Amos got to spend some quality time beside the fire in the snow. Um, on the morning of my birthday, we awoke to the very end of a massive snowstorm. Overnight, several feet of snow had fallen amidst howling winds. By dawn, all that was left were huge flakes falling in the wintry stillness. It was gorgeous. And because we have young children, we got to witness it. <laughs> uh, we went into the kitchen we gathered around the table, and Mary Beth had laid out a bunch of cards for us. It was, or for me, I guess it was for me. There was one from her that was very sweet and kind. And then there was another one from the boys that Mary Beth had, had uh, they had dictated some things that they love to do with me and things they love uh, about our family. You can, those of you who are regular here will appreciate that Henry, one of the things that Henry wrote down was that he loves to carry my mandolin back to my office after the service. <laughs> it's so sweet. And then there was another card, a third card. After those sincere cards, I saw a change coming. I thought I would probably have one of those cards that... Uh, that kind of made fun of me for getting older. You could see it coming. Something, something. And it was a funny card. Uh, inside it had a picture of a person precariously on, on the edge of like a rock uh, over this huge drop-off. Hey, guys. And, uh, <laughs> and then it said, life is short. So get down, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was an apt, apt card. But inside, there was something completely unexpected. Mary Beth had listed out all sorts of friends and family who had all pitched in together to buy me a new surfboard. Amazing, right? Just absolutely. Now, I understand. You may look around this board, this, this room, and think, the last thing we need are more surfboards. <laughs> You, you might be right, but this is a beautiful board, and it is perfect for our surfing and spirituality. It's that red board that's back there. Uh, I had it at the beach yesterday. Not many of you got to see it in action. Dan got to ride it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the boards have names. That is, it's, it's a Bing, uh, and it's red. It's, the company's name is Bing, so that is obviously the cherry, um, the Bing cherry. But... Uh, <laughs> The gift was beyond necessity, right? It was extravagant in its price, extravagant in where we are and what we do here. But the part that caught me, the part that overwhelmed me, was the extravagance of the love I felt from all who contributed to it. Seeing those names 
so unexpectedly reading this card, I was, I was just, it was more than I could handle. It was overwhelming in that beautiful, beautiful way in which we crumble into, the, uh, into love. The gift was extravagant. Extravagant love. In the gospel this morning, we read a tale of extravagant love. Extravagant love as priority. Extravagant love as example. Extravagant love as the inroad to relationship with God and neighbor. Let's take a little look. This has got to be one of the best passages in the entire Bible, right? It's just so jam-packed. There's so much in here. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. It appeals to all of our senses. we got the touch of hair on feet, the smell of perfume filling the entire house, the taste of food eaten by a man who had been dead, the vision of intimacy, the sound of near silence as Mary wiped Jesus' feet, a silence interrupted by the dissenting voice of a bitter, jealous friend. The occasion is a dinner for Jesus, a dinner for Jesus who has raised Lazarus from the dead. Just like we read last week in the so-called prodigal son parable, Here's another instance of lost but found. Another instance of radical grace. And just like the father and the young son in that parable, Lazarus' family responds with gratitude. Gratitude. True, overwhelming, cheese doodle scream. Gratitude. It is Mary who elevates the gratitude level from thank you to ineffable mystery. Mary gives her all. She gives her money, lots of money. She gives her body, wiping Jesus' feet with her own hair. And in the process, she risks her dignity. This is a scandalous Story. I know we've all read it a bunch, so we might kind of lose some of that punch. But it should make us blush. Not because it's inappropriate, but because it is so intimate. Now, that intimacy could easily be sexualized or misinterpreted. But Jesus sees it for what it is. Grateful love, extravagant love. Jesus is so inspired by this moment that he repeats it with his disciples a few days later. The same verb used for wipe here, alepho, is the word used to describe Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet. This is particularly important in John's gospel. In John, there are no words of institution. There's no formal instruction of the Eucharist. The teaching that Jesus gives for his disciples to remember him and to love one another as God loved him comes at the foot washing. Jesus teaches his disciples to do what Mary has done. In 
his book, The Universal Christ, Franciscan priest and author Richard Rohr describes the process called mirroring. Mirroring is a term used in childhood development for the way in which infants reflect the behavior of their parents. When parents smile, babies smile. When parents are upset, babies are upset. They cry. This, of course, leads to the process a friend of mine described to me last week in which her four-year-old was getting dressed for school and was cursing like a sailor. (laughs) We all mirror. We reflect the images around us and we reflect the way in which others treat us. If we are surrounded by images that belittle us or tell us we don't matter, we think of ourselves in that way. If we are loved and respected, we love and respect others and ourselves. Uh, When I was an undergrad, uh, I spent a semester studying in in Santiago de Chile, and my host family used this phrase. I guess I must have hung out with some sketchy folks because they kept using this phrase for me. Uh, It says, Dime con quien andas y te digo quien eres. Uh, tell me who you hang out with, and I'll tell you who you are. <laughs> One of the reasons Jesus was criticized for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors is that he might have absorbed their behavior. He might touch it. He might mirror it, he, and so defile himself, right? But Jesus understands something much more important. He understands the importance of reflecting the love we have been given, Showing love to people who have only seen images of themselves as unlovable. Sisters and brothers, you are made in the image of God. You reflect love eternal. Don't let anyone distort or deny the fact that you're beautiful and loved. Richard Rohr situates the mirroring love of Christ within its proper place, within the eternal divine. He says, the Christ mirror fully knows and loves from all eternity and reflects that image back to us. Loved eternally, eternal Love reflected here in this passage by Mary as extravagant gratitude. Just as Jesus' ministry in John begins when Jesus reflects his mother's love and confidence at the wedding in Cana, so Jesus' final outpouring of love here is initiated when mirroring Mary's love. It is no coincidence that it was two women who provide the model of love in Jesus' ministry. It is women who bear life, women who teach us nurture, women who mirror love, women who give us the physical example of strength and giving of the self for the sake of others. It is amazing as a father to see my wife, see Mary Beth, caring and delivering 
and then caring for and feeding our children. It's absolutely incredible. And in that process, in that time that both of us are giving ourselves to our kids, I can't help but be filled with gratitude to my parents to mirror what they gave me when I didn't even know it. Like, I can't remember all those nights that my parents spent with me, all those nights that my mother nurtured me. But it is something that now fills me with gratitude. Thanks, Mom. She listens to the podcast, so I'm throwing it out there. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that feminine strength is at all limited to procreation or mothering. Mary makes that crystal clear in the example from the gospel today. Mary exemplifies an iconoclast, but a vulnerable iconoclast. A leader who models emotional courage. A leader who courageously extravagantly shows intimacy. Okay, you say. But wait, what about Judas? What about Judas? Poor Judas. (laughs) Poor Judas. John is neither subtle nor generous in his descriptions. (laughs) But let's just take it as it is, okay? Uh, Judas has an important point, right? Judas has an important point. This money could have been used to help the poor. And it is crucial that we subvert the disproportionate distribution of wealth that has left 40 million people in the U.S. currently living in poverty. It has left 815 million people worldwide struggling with hunger. It has left thousands of students in our universities to struggle with food insecurity, as we talked, some of us talked about yesterday. With that in mind, how do we comprehend what Jesus says to Judas? How do we wrap our heads around this? We could frame this along the lines of what Kierkegaard calls the teleological suspension of the ethical. That is, Normally, the ethical thing to do would be to give the money for the perfume to the poor, right? But Jesus is with us for only a little time, so we should pour out the perfume while we can. That's true, and that's fine. But I think if we were to look at it there and stop there, we would miss something very, very important. Judas chains our ability to help our neighbor help the poor to material wealth. Yes, Judas reflects Jesus' work to be and bring good news to the poor. He's been going around with Jesus and seeing that Jesus cares for the poor and interacts with the poor, right? But in this case, Judas is merely parroting. He doesn't show true concern for the poor. He does not mirror the work of Jesus. Jesus didn't have to go and make a bunch of money to help the poor. Jesus took what he had and shared, as we see in the feeding of the 5,000 over and over again in the gospel. Jesus related to the poor and the sick through intimate interaction, through talking, through healing. The point here is that we always, always have enough 
to love our neighbors. Sometimes that love is expressed through money. However, our love of God and neighbor is not contingent upon material wealth. In the words of Wilco, our love is God's money. And we have enough. There will always be enough. We mirror love eternal, extravagant love that knows no limit. Yes, the poor will always be with you. There will always be people who need our love. God's preferential option for the poor and marginalized is constantly finding new expressions, as indicated in the passage from Isaiah today. We will always have work to do. But we mirror extravagant love. Love like a gift from good friends and family. Love like a friend washing your feet with her hair. Love that knows that we have enough. We are enough. God is enough. And when we forget, when we lose touch, we can return to that eternal mirror. Come back to the mirror of Christ to love eternally extravagant. Amen. Amen.